1: of Monday Lynch time and you may be thinking I've mispronounced that but I've not at all so I'm sure you'll recognize my voice I'm a regular host Dave Davis coming to you for Anfield Index Pro here and I'm delighted most importantly to be joined again after a long break by the renowned and respected Merseyside football writer and more importantly covering everything about the Reds David Lynch. David how are we?
2: Yeah, good. It's uh, it's good to be good to be back on with you, Dave. Um, and yeah, no, it's, it's nice to to be back with the Anfield Index. Brill, good stuff.
1: And we'll see if you still feel the way by the end of it, because we've got a million things we naturally want to ask you and get through. So, everyone who's listening, will ask David about the season so far. We'll ask him to make some tough calls about what he do, especially going forward, based on what he's seen. It's the small matter of a Merseyside derby coming up on Saturday with a, a midday kickoff or half 12 kickoff, which I'm sure we've all got our feelings on. And we'll talk about everything off the field that's going on as well. So I suppose I'm hoping keep it, it stays this way, David, but everything does seem quite Positive for the Reds at the moment. I mean, it's a short question, but there's probably quite a bit to this. How would you almost assess this season so far for
0: us?
2: Yeah, I think, I think overall you've you've got to think it's, it's been largely positive. I mean, you've you've just got to look at where Liverpool are in the table, not too far away from, from top spot, you know, in the top four, which is the number one aim the manager would say for this season, wouldn't he? You know, it's always about, you know, you talk about title races and things like that, but I think he always says, doesn't he? Let's get in the Champions League first and then we'll see where we're up to. So if that's the primary aim, then it's, it's been a good start on that front. I think if there's any frustration, it's just that. It could have been slightly better, you know. It's very difficult to sort of get rid of the bitter taste around that that Spurs result and the nature of that game as a whole. The two red cards and the, the disallowed goal uh, being the major injustice. I think you know that that is frustrating. And then obviously the Brighton game just before the break, some frustration around that as well. Again, you know, did decisions go Liverpool's way? If they had, yeah. you know, could things have been slightly better? But I think. On the whole, you know, we've seen big changes in certainly in midfield, and that seems to be coming together nicely. Things seems to be working, and the team just already looks miles better than than it did before. it's uh, certainly last season. So, um, you know, I, I think hugely encouraging. If there's any frustration, it's just that it could could have been slightly better, but it's a good foundation to build from.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I can't even remember how many games it took us to get to this current points total last season. So, yeah. Really night and day. And I I like that you mentioned the midfield because naturally there's been the the normal talk about the players that have come in. But who would you say for you personally has really stood out so far this season in a good way? And I do mean this in a good way. There does seem to be a, a number of candidates this time. But who would you sort of pinpoint as standing out for you?
2: Well, I think, I think the obvious one is, is Dominic Sobersley. I mean, I, 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 had an idea he was a good player, um, when he came in, but I, I didn't think he was quite this good. And I didn't think he would have sort of the impact that he's had in such a short space of time. You know, I've described him in, in a couple of articles as almost sort of the, the heartbeat of Liverpool 2.0, if that's what Jürgen Klopp wants to call it. Um, and I, I just think he's been so incredibly influential in sort of. You know he's just involved in everything on both sides of the ball, and and Liverpool's problem in, in midfield last season was was the fact that it didn't do either of its jobs over a big course of the season, which was to provide some attacking impetus and and load the bullets for the front line, but also to to protect that defence, and which is why it made the, the defenders look so poor at times. So I think yeah. you know the the fact that that Jurgen Klopp seems to have solved that with this summer's build business, or, or, or has, has gone a long way to solving it. Um, Subberly is a big part of that because he is so good. On both sides of the ball, he's, he's so incredibly creative, isn't he? And, and 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 such a threat going forward with his shooting, and, as well as his you know ability to pick out passes in behind, but also you know he's the he's the first man sprinting back if there's a, a counter attack on and stopping it. And I think you know the, the biggest compliment you can pay him so far is the fact that those Steven Gerrard comparisons, which have come about because of his shirt number, but also you know they, they owe a lot to the way he plays. And I don't think they are too outlandish. I think we can see a lot of similarities in terms of the way. He plays the game and, and just, you know, it's incredibly exciting because there's clearly, there's even more to come from him. So, you know, this is just the start and the, the idea that he's going to get even better is, as I say, is, is incredibly exciting because he's, he's some player already. Yeah, can't disagree with the
1: a word you said there. It really has been sort of a, a standout. And there's been obviously the normal candidate, so to speak. We shouldn't take for granted, like Salah, Alisson doing brilliant yeah. stuff
2: so far. I, it is all positive. <laughs> To be honest, one more I want to. I mean, yeah, you you right to mention Salah and Allison because we almost overlooked them by because of how brilliant they are, and 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 that's not fair to them really because we just get so used to the the, the brilliance. And yeah, Allison just picked up where he left off last season, incredible again. And Salah, all that talk about potentially selling him has just been shown up as an absolute nonsense, hasn't it? You know, I was told by someone recently that he's, you know, maybe he's in decline. <laughs> what a load of nonsense that is! But just just one more player I wanted to mention. Actually, I think has been a standout for me who I think would maybe get less praise is, is maybe Joel Matip because I think, you know, there was a, a clamour to sign a centre-half over the summer. I, I think Liverpool should have probably signed in that position anyway, uh, even though things are going well now. But I think a lot of it was based on the fact and the idea that we were thinking, OK, Joe Gomez and Joel Matip are, are complete write-offs. Matip in particular, given his age and, and sort of injury record. But I think he has come in, um, and similar with Joe Gomez, actually, he's come in and sort of, proving people wrong at times this season and been really sort of exceptional over the start of the season. I think, you know, he's very unlucky with that Tottenham own goal, but he'd been incredible in that game and has, you know, been really, yeah. really good whenever he's come in. At times when Liverpool have needed him as well because they've had those injuries and suspensions at centre-half. So I think Joel Massett deserves a lot of praise. As sort of, an, you know, an alternative name you could probably give as a, an answer to that question.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And agree with everything, Gomez. It, it does seem in a, in a great way that everything is... Pointing sort of positively at the moment. I mean, I know you mentioned it there and you're completely right that the aim is always the the top four. Do you heart of hearts believe Liverpool are involved in the title race this season?
2: I I, I sort of, I I think I tweeted this or something to this effect, but I I, I kind of convinced myself that going into these last two before the international break, I thought if Liverpool could sort of get wins at Tottenham and Brighton or or win one and, and draw the other but play well, then I thought, you know, that would sort of convince me that that Liverpool were not just a side that was going to go for top four this season, but they were going to be a team that was going to be in, in contention for the title. Obviously, that that didn't happen in the end, but there was so many sort of mitigating circumstances involved in that. Obviously, the shambles that Tottenham have touched on, but also Brighton, where I think that's a clear red card around the penalty, and then all of a sudden, you know, the the, the game is completely changed in Liverpool's favour. Uh, yeah, I think those mitigating circumstances exist to a degree that you know. Maybe we'll just have to see. I think, you know, it's changed my judgment that they didn't necessarily have to win those games to be in there. And I think they're so close now. I think what's key and what I think will be a decisive period for me now is is kind of what happens up to that Man City game. So Liverpool have got four games, haven't they, against sides who are in and around the sort of bottom half of the the league. I think those are the key games in terms of deciding, you know, what you do in title challenging-wise a lot of the time because... You know, you just have to absolutely batter the bottom fifteen, really, and and then the rest sort of fall, you know, sorts itself out. So, you know, if Liverpool are going to be a team that's, that's set up to to challenge for the title, you know, I probably think they need four wins going into City, and then we'll see what happens there. Um, so, I think this is a, a key period in terms of deciding that.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. As the as the old saying goes, beat the dross. And we know how to complete it. So fingers crossed it is looking positive all the way up to City. And it is probably right to to mention, Dave, because as much as we're talking everything positive, the only blip in typical style out of Liverpool's control. We've all seen the Andy Robertson injury in the the Spain game. And almost that we're all kind of waiting on on news of any a scam, you know, what what the actual full extent of that injury is in that regard. I mean it's naturally raised a few questions and the obvious replacement, maybe the natural replacement you could say is you're thinking Simicast will come in. Is it? Is it that simple for you though? Because I know you mentioned someone there as a few other sort of Reds have been tweeting or commenting that Joe Gomez could do a job, you know, at left back in this type of system because does Simicast really suit this, you know, left-sided role in this, this Trent hybrid formation, whatever you want to describe it as. People even mentioning Jarrell Quanta coming in a Levi Cowell style role there as well. is it straightforward Simicast comes in or would you look at it any differently at all
2: i I think I think the manager will see it as he especially because of the the games they've got coming up these four games going into manchester city they, they, they've got to be games where you can use Costa Simicast, surely. Um, you know, the, the, he's just signed a new contract. Obviously, they believe in him as a backup. I, I, I personally think, you know, a, a, as a backup left back to Andy Robertson, he's a he's a, an underrated option almost. You know, I I, I totally accept that he, he doesn't hit Robertson's standards, but few do. Let's be honest, and and I think Simicast for for him to be there as a backup, you know, he very rarely lets Liverpool down. He can be a bit, you know, there, there are times where he's a bit sort of clumsy and it looks a bit messy and. And I don't, like I say, I don't think he's the perfect left-back, but he tends to come into the side. He sets up goals a lot. He You know, he gets a lot of key passes when he's in the team. He, he's creative. Yes, not defensively perfect, but he is your backup left-back. You've got to accept that he's going to have some flaws and i think you know i, I think you've he, he, got to as the manager he's got to say you know if you he start his 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 first choice left back is out for, for whatever period now we'll have to see we're still waiting on news uh, around that I've, I've, you know been doing some digging but not really heard much at the moment but i think you've got to as a manager say okay this is my opportunity for my backup to you know to show faith in him and 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 especially when Simakas has not massively left you know let jürgen klop down at any point And he is a good fit for this system. I think, you know, one thing I do want to talk about actually around that is, I think some of the stuff around Robertson playing as a a centre half is it's at times overstated. I think we have seen that at times, but you know, if people have watched him in recent games, do do, do people think that's sort of the performances or positioning of a left sided centre half? I accept that at times when Trent walks into midfield, that he does have to drop in and tuck in a little bit, but really. What Robertson is doing at the moment is playing left-back in a slightly more conservative way than we used to. He just picks his moments to go forward a little bit more and a little bit more wisely about that. So I think some of this is overstated about whether Liverpool need a centre-half to play in that position, You know, particularly the way that Robertson's playing it at the moment. So for me, because of the strength of the opposition going forward over these next four games, I think it has to be Simicast. Then when you get to Man City, maybe there's a discussion to be had if if Robertson isn't ready and, and maybe that's one where you think... We just need that extra solidity. Let's give it Gomez uh, for, for that for that game in particular. But I think these next four, I, I personally would would like to see Simicus in there. Yeah,
1: it, it will be interesting. And like you said, I think that that is what Jurgen Klopp will be thinking. So it's what many expect to happen. And I mean, the Jurgen Klopp's got a lot of tough calls to make. But the, the one, I'll say one, two areas I really want to focus on, David, because there's almost like a pool of evidence now, so to speak. You know, it's it's not really the start of the season anymore. We're moving into that second period almost. And there's been, as we say, a, a lot of positives, but there's still that debate over the, the midfield and the forward line and naturally the midfield area because there's that... Chat around Alexis McAllister. Maybe a bit of surprise to many that he started the season and predominantly been the, the number six in that formation. Who knows, you know, whether that anyone see that coming or whether that's a, a product of circumstances? I mean, from the midfield, if we look at that first of all, it's it's an interesting debate and it might well go on for for quite a while. Do you almost have a a strongest midfield three, as it were, in this current lineup, or is it just horses for courses at the moment?
2: I think things like that are so difficult to judge, aren't I mean, I, I'm absolutely no endo expert. So, for starters, he's sort of, you know, when, I, when I'm picking my strongest midfield three, he's not going to be, you know, he's not got as much behind him, or he's going to be in strong contention as others that I've seen much more of. So, I think it's, a, you know, it's a, it's unfair for me almost to sort of. To sort of pick one because, and it will probably different to, to how the manager views things because he sees them every day in training. He'll know a lot more about Endo as a, as a starting point than I will. Yeah. So, you know, it makes it tough. I think the only thing you can say at the moment is that the, the Jones, Subers Lime, McAllister midfield had a really nice balance to it on paper. Um, I, I did like the look of that and I think it was working really well. So real shame that Curtis got that, that ban when he did because he, you know, he started the season really well and he seemed to, you know, do quite a good job of sort of covering for some of McAllister's weaknesses in the six as well so I, for, for me that that's Liverpool's sort of strongest midfield three at the moment until I receive evidence otherwise you know it'll be very interesting to see what sort of happens with Endo going forward and whether you know the manager sees fit to, to start sort of using him a bit more because there's been a bit of a narrative shift I've noticed sort of over this international break in terms of um, this idea that Oh well, you know McAllister is a six. He, you know, he should be playing that. That's that's where Liverpool have bought he plays there for Argentina, which he, he does from time to time. And um, you know, th- almost as if this is where Liverpool have, have, have bought him to play him. But I I, I don't buy that for for a second. I, m- I must say that because you know you you remember back to the early preseason friendlies when Liverpool had a, a, a vacancy in all the midfield because Fabinho was sitting them out. Um, and the manager preferred to use Trent Alexander-Arnold there rather than drop McAllister back. So I think that gives you an idea that at that point, certainly early in the summer when he'd just been brought brought to the club, the idea wasn't to use McAllister in the number six. So it does show you that the manager accepts that you know there's potential weaknesses there. There's it's it's not what he sort of designed for this team to be, and and where he sort of saw McAllister thrive. And it's something that's been decided on the hoof and they're working their way through that and seeing if it can work. One thing I would say is, it, it, you know, I think it's too early to say either way whether that will work or not. Maybe if we get more games with Jones covering some of those weaknesses, we start to see McAllister improve and improve and improve as he sort of understands it a little bit more. I think one thing you've got to do is is make sure he's, he's exposed less going forward. So it's either, you know, that works itself out and, and and the manager finds a combination with McAllister that that completely closes covers off some of his weaknesses or we start to see a little bit more of Nobody. It's, it's going to be interesting to see that, how that develops because, as I say, I don't think that was the initial plan at all that McAllister was going to be in the six because he would have been from the very, very start of pre-season.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting too. Exactly as you said earlier, with the uh, the opposition, the fixtures coming up, maybe that might be a, a tweak, possibly. Who knows? And even the likes of Ryan Gravenberch forcing himself into the equation as well. It will be interesting to see. I mean, the, the other end, uh, Area where, in a good way, we have seen them banging in goals, making an assist from, from you know, across the board from the sort of five senior forwards have really done a job. And probably the only sad note recently has been Cody Gatpo getting that injury against Spurs, and fingers crossed we might even, led to believe, possibly see him back quite soon after this international break. Do you have a favourite front three? Has anything sort of changed your thoughts based on what you've seen so far at all?
2: Yeah, sorry, just to quickly go back to the midfield thing as well. You mentioned Gravenberg there. I think these next two games what an exciting opportunity that is for him to you know I would love to see him sort of come into that starting midfield now and and, and make a, a case for for him coming in to do the Jones role and and maybe, you know, that make it more difficult for Curtis when he comes back to fitness. So, quite excited to to sort of see how that works out going forward because I think he's had a really really nice start to his Liverpool career. Looks really impressive. So, Excited about that one in terms of what how that's going to shake up in terms of that midfield three and yeah on on the forward line I think I mean got unbelievable options and I I would have said personally at the start of this season that I mean or, or certainly before preseason that I I would have seen Cody Gakpo as, as the sort of the man to start up front for, for Liverpool just because of what he'd done towards the back end of last season but then obviously Nunez, he had a really strong preseason he was scoring a lot of goals looked really bright in terms of his his hold up play and and, and I think he sort of carried that into the season, really. I think he's just been been brilliant, hasn't he? I think with Gakpo getting the injury when he has, I think it's going to be a you know difficult for him when he comes back to fitness. Hopefully, that's just after the international break to 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 move Nunez out of that role. I I think he's been so good. I, you know, the Brighton game actually sticks out to me for Nunez in terms of he, he didn't score a goal, which is what you almost you know he, he brings so much goal threat. He Gets you know eight shots away a match or, or something crazy like that generally, yeah. and he you know he's such a threat. But I thought the Brighton game was so good from him, and I, I really, really liked elements of that performance because of what he did in build-up, which is the one thing you would have criticised him for. Really, is his build-up and and his pressing. And I thought both elements of those were really good against Brighton. He he held the ball up well. He kept it. He spread it. I sprayed it out wide, and then made a, you know the good runs in behind that you want to see him making. You know, he just—he really took care of the ball, and also in terms of his pressing, really disciplined in terms of not going pressing the Brighton goalkeeper unless it was a situation that called for it, and making because that—that's where they get you with those overloads. And he was so disciplined in that, which again is something you you say—you know—people have said in the past that is—is a weakness of his. So I think he's all around centre forward playing that Brighton game, even though he didn't get the goal and the result wasn't the one that Liverpool wanted, was so impressive, And, and so for me he has to be in that strongest forward line at the moment, I think. And it's his shirt to lose until his performances dip or Gakpo really makes a case in training when he comes back to to take the shirt off him. So for me, yeah, Nunez is in there. And then in terms of who's alongside him, I think on the start of this season, obviously, well, on all seasons, Mo Salah has to be in there. That's not even up for debate. And then on the the, the left-hand side, I think Diaz is, again, he's had a, a really strong start to this season and I think it's it's his shirt to lose at the moment because I, I think, you know, Jota is an option out there, but I think he doesn't quite take care of the ball and carry it as well into the box. So, yeah, for me, it's got to be a, a sort of Diaz, Nunez and a Salah front line at the moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is great, as you said, all the, all the options there to have so many good options and fingers crossed we get gap back soon because as a few people have said probably one of the the key parts about this positive start has been having those couple of options to come off the bench and really change the game or make something happen so it is all positive in that regard and fingers crossed going into a, a derby week because I do want to talk about that we want to want to keep it positive because there's those kind of niggles there about twelve thirty kickoff on a Saturday And we could talk about that one all day and, you know, players coming back from different countries, different time zones, little recovery time. But it is a a huge game coming up, you know, at Anfield on Saturday, half 12. I know we might be searching the memory bank a little bit for this one, David. Have you got sort of a a favourite Anfield-specific Derby memory that someone says, you know, what's your favourite moment from an Anfield one? Anything that springs to mind at all?
2: Yeah, I mean, in in recent history, the one that that really jumps out, and it, it's an obvious one, I accept, but it, just ridiculous is the 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 ninety sixth minute or whatever it was, um, Pickford spilling it onto the bar, just because it was so, it was such a ridiculous moment that it was it was one of those. who sat in the press box, and it, it sort of bounces off the bar, and and it goes in, and then the, the crowd starts cheering, and you almost couldn't accept that what had happened. It was like. I remember sort of sat next to Neil Jones as I always do in the in the press box, and it almost like looking at each other, like, "Is that allowed? Is that goal going to stand? What you know? Can you can you score off the top of the bar? You know, because it was so unusual and, and freakish way to win a game, and uh, yeah, just you well, you, you see it from the manager running on the pitch as well, and just it was absolute bedlam in the stands around as we sit really close to to the edge of the edge where the, the the fans are, and it was just absolutely. Utterly crazy, crazy there and, and people jumping down the stairs and, and, and all over each other. And yeah, just just one of those where it was just you, you couldn't believe and couldn't process what had sort of happened. And it was almost like you're expecting the goal to be disallowed because it was that ludicrous that it'd been scored that late and in that manner. Um so that yeah, that that's right up there, I'd say. Yeah, the, the
1: unbelievable moment, and in a good way. Fingers crossed we celebrate another one because there has has been a few, and maybe as if you've been tweeting this week, the Allison flop replicating Pickford sort of time wasting. That's a, a popular one as well. So fingers crossed we do get another moment in this one coming up. I mean, team wise, this it may be diff- it may be difficult, it may not be, but. We've got to expect that Andy Robertson's out naturally and Curtis Jones is suspended. So we're touching wood, fingers crossing that everyone else is coming back from all parts of the world with no issues. There's a few international games, as we all hate, to to clear still. With that in mind, have you got sort of initial thoughts on how we might line up for this one or what you think you would do or Klopp will steer towards at all?
3: I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) Ha! making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout.
2: Yeah, I think I, I think in defense, like I say, you know, Simicast coming in at left back, obviously Alisson in, in gold, I don't think that one's up for debate. Um, I think Simicast, as I said, will we'll maybe get the nod in this one. Um, and then, you know, center half's an interesting one, obviously Van Dijk will be in there, but his partner, I, I, I yeah. think, you know, Jurgen Klopp sort of hinted, you know, prior to the international break that this is a decision he's going to have to make at some point. Now. Although, as I, you know, Matip has been really impressive, I think Jurgen Klopp would always sort of lean towards getting Canate back in there in into his first choice starting eleven um, as soon as he's got the opportunity. And, and though he didn't want to take the shirt from Matip prior to the break, I think, it's going to be difficult for him to keep hold of it now. There's been that little break, and Canarte can come back and he'll be, you know, full fitness and 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 ready to go. So I think I think this is going to be one where we see Canarte come back in and then Joe Matic moves into that sort of League Cup slash Europa League team uh, for the foreseeable. Um and then, yeah, right back, Trent Alexander Arnold in midfield. This is a difficult one around the South American players. I I do wonder whether it makes it slightly easier with it being at Anfield and whether he'll just be able to sort of, you know, throw McAllister in there despite the travel this time. It's not quite like traveling away for a 12.30 and, you know, getting up crazy early and and, and things like that. I think they'll make every sort of, you know, make every move they can to make this easier so that the likes of McAllister can play despite all that travel. So I think your midfield then is, is, is maybe McAllister... Uh, Stober's light and and uh, and Gravenberch got to get the nod for me, as I said. You know, with Jones being out, I think I think it's a real opportunity for Gravenberch to 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 prove that he should be in the the starting eleven going forward because he he can't be really doing much more than he has done with the the cameos that he's made and also the 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 appearances he's made in the in the cup competition. I think he really is. Proven that he's ready for this. So, you know, quite excited to see him. And then in terms of the front line, I, you know, don't know where Gapo is up, quite up to with his fitness. So we'll have to see on that one. But I think, you know, I said my first choice front three at the moment is Diaz, uh, Nunez, and, and Salah and, and fitness permitting. And, and as I say, the travel, if the players come back and they look like they're in good shape, then I think that for me should be the the, 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 the starting lineup for this one.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with, with all of that. It will be interesting. And fingers crossed. The updates from the players coming back, sort of Gakpo, Robbo and all that. And it's probably a bit of a, a side question, but I'm, I know Jurgen Klopp had mentioned it. Have you heard anything further on the sort of situations around? Because everyone's actually being inquisitive around it, understandably. You know, Stefan Bajsetic or Thiago Alcantara, we ha- thinking possibly they could be back quite soon? I know I don't want to put a definitive timescale on that, but hopeful more than anything.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it's difficult to judge Jürgen because he lies about injuries all the time. But it's—but um, you, you got the vibe, didn't you, almost? I, I think in, in the press conferences and sort of the chat around um, the, the training ground and stuff was that, you know, there was a chance for both to sort of be back. After this international break, we'll, we'll have to see how the recoveries have gone because I think they're very much sort of injuries where it's, you know, it's just a time thing and judging how it goes rather than a set, Sort of thing, you know. If they feel pain when they come back to try and train, then they have to sit it out. So it's it, it's one of those where they were sort of kind of reluctant to put definitive timescales on, but it, it, you know, it was, it, you got the idea that there was every chance they could be back after the international break. And I think you know that would be a major boost to to get both back because Liverpool's midfield already looks a million times stronger than it did last season. Um But to to have two top class options like that back in it to to help you. In terms of rotation and seeing out games as well, and and, and you know, Thiago would, would would probably stake a claim to be in Liverpool's first choice midfield. So, how does that quite work out with the options you've got now? That's you know, that's I think that's really exciting for fans. So, hopefully, hopefully both are really close, and 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 if we could see them in the squad for this game, then as I say, would be would be a huge boost because the two really really high quality players. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Especially as such an important period coming up all that way through to City as well. So, yeah, touch wood on that. I mean, it is important that that we do talk about the off the field matters as well, because as ever, there's always something usually going on with with Liverpool. And I'll steer away from the the Annie Road upper update because everyone's seen that from Liverpool. But I know you've wrote about this and, and talked about the way Liverpool structure their debt, I want to phrase that carefully, but naturally the biggest story has been the the dynasty equity investment coming in, which might be up to, nothing's definitively confirmed yet, but $200 million, which translates somewhere around $160 million sterling. Naturally, there's questions asked on this about whether it's what people wanted, expected, however you want to phrase it, but the natural sort of inquisition of fans will be, what impact can this actually have over what happens on the field, i.e. transfers, in terms of any... I mean, do you think this can have a sort of a knock-on or direct impact on transfers at all?
2: Yeah, I mean, at Liverpool we're, were really keen, understandably, to sort of play that down when this announcement was made. And I, and I get why they do that. You know, they don't want to make it look like, OK, now we're suddenly the richest team in the world and we can go out and get anyone we want and, and pay this and that. And it, you know, it always makes sense to to at least publicly weaken your position in the transfer market because obviously it helps in terms of not getting absolutely ripped off. But I struggle to see how this can't have a positive impact in terms of those things. Now, you know, we've we've spoken about this a few times, and I've I've written about it a lot in terms of you know how I what I thought Liverpool needed in terms of investment and and where that should be directed. And I think you know one of the biggest problems Liverpool have had in terms of being held back by. Is is that use of sort of short term debt to fund infrastructure projects that you know? Regardless, Liverpool would defend this, and I'm sure the 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 higher ups at Liverpool would say that this was the 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 right call in terms of how they've approached that. But I would, you know, I I, I just fundamentally disagree because they created a they created a drain on cash, which you can actually see in the last couple of sets of accounts. You can see that that uh, credit facility that you have it goes up and then it goes down, it goes down again. You know, every time it goes down, that is money is being poured out of the club into paying that, those things off, which is, you know, it's not, it, there's nothing bad about that. It's it's using the club's money to to fund a, a build of an infrastructure project, which will generate more money. That is, it. you know, it's entirely positive. But I think, you know, the way that, that football club finances are run and, and, and the options that were available to FSG, I just don't understand why they tied themselves into that in terms of, you know, why not... You know, in the, in the, in the case of the Anfield Road end, why not use a longer term debt that doesn't demand repayment whilst you in the process of rebuilding the stand? For example, you know, wait until the, the stand comes online and therefore is generating cash to start paying it back. You know why couldn't an owner loan be used in the same way it was with the with the main standard I really didn't understand that yeah. approach as I said, you know, particularly coming off the back of covid it created that drain on cash which you know w- w- is with, without doubt you know for me is as cost liverpool plays in the transfer market or the ability to spend x amount extra you know you, you can see that money that has that gone which i think you know i think my last calculations over the over the last couple of sets of accounts was around Hundred plus million, I think you know. I need to check my numbers there. Really, probably rather than insane on accounts, but you can find it in things I've written. If you have a look back, yeah. But you know, it's a it's a lot of money. Um, it has been pushed into into the way that they finance those deals around the, the the infrastructure projects. So never understood that. So the beauty of this dynasty deal is that you know, and they, they've, they've publicly stated this is that the money will be used to pay off that external debt, which so you know what instantly happens then is once that debt is not on the club anymore and they they don't have to worry about put, paying that out of the the cash that flows in from tv money all those sorts of things you know um, well uh, ticket sales whatever uh, all that money now rather than some a big chunk of it you know 50 million a season or whatever being holding into to paying down the debts for the, for the Anfield Road End or paying down the debts to to, to building the, uh, the 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 new training ground that can all now be be put back into the team and and there's one thing you can say about FSG and I know they get criticised a lot is that generally if there's spare cash lying around like that they don't they definitely don't pull it out as dividends they don't do anything like that they they put it back into the club be that infrastructure projects or the team itself in terms of Wages and transfer fees. So, you know, like I say, the 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 short version of this, I guess. Sorry for, for rambling on, but is that I can't see how without that debt being there now, that money now doesn't just pour back into the team, uh, which is the thing that I think we all want to see uh, is, is greater investment in the team. And and with that debt now being, you know, paid off or a large chunk of it being taken off the books, then you you, you would expect the, the the huge amounts of cash which Liverpool generate, an amount that is getting bigger all the time, by the way, with the deals assigned, it, that can just all go back into the team now. So I think this is a, a major, major positive and, and, and should have a positive impact in terms of wages and transfers going forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely, which is which is what we're all wanting to see, especially because naturally there might be some uh, moves in either January and especially the summer, people are expecting a reinforcement, shall we say, in the defence as well. So touch wood, that all comes to fruition. And as well, I suppose it links directly to it, off the field matters, the sporting director role, because there's naturally still question marks around that. I mean, Jörg Schmacker in interviews has confirmed himself almost as a, or he was, and it still is, I don't know how you phrase it, a transfer assistant for Jurgen Klopp, you know, in the, in the summer with the moves that that we made. And he's also talked about almost a, a break clause, for want of a better phrase, you know, the option to sort of shake hands, look each other in the eye at some point, move on if everyone feels that's best. And naturally, the the rumours are coming out now with him departing Red Bull, Max Ebrel sort of moving on, that you know, Bayern are, are in the mix for him as well and the suggestions that we're trying to prize him into that sporting director role. Is there any update you can kind of give around the sporting director role, as in anything that the club are saying or, what you're hearing or what you believe will happen, anything along those lines at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, it's extremely difficult to sort of get a straight answer on this one at the moment in terms of, you know, where where this might be going. And I think it's instructive at the moment that Schmacker hasn't gone anywhere. I wonder whether sort of, there's at least a, an element of happiness with what he did to the point of you know he, he's still under contract at the moment so you know could we at least take this to January and then if if Liverpool want to go down a different route maybe that's something that they look to do you know ahead of the the, the next summer window or whatever but I don't get the sense there's any rush about it I mean the fact that there haven't been really huge links with anyone is is kind of instructive and it's on, on the Maxi World chat you know that that sort of stuff is his name's been popping up for a while actually. It was something I, you know, someone had mentioned him as a, a potential to me over the summer, but it, you know, I chased it then and didn't sort of get that vibe. It, it, everyone you talk to about this just sort of, I think the idea is that you know he very much left Red Bull because of those links to Bayern, and I think they are very strong there as well. So I, I don't think Liverpool are in the mix for this. I don't know whether that's the story's coming about because you know it, it gets Bayern to to get a move on, or it's it's kind of pushing them, but. I think that the main reason for him leaving Red Bull there was was because of that Bayern stuff, and I, I don't think it, you know if Liverpool had wanted him, then they would have pursued him by this point. I, I don't I don't expect that that's one we're going to sort of see firmed up or or move forward from here because yeah, like I say, you know, everyone at Liverpool is saying, well, you know, look at Bayern's role in this rather than it does, you know, it's it, you not given the impression that this is someone that Liverpool are after at the moment.
1: Yeah, fair enough. It, w- it will be interesting to see because. Almost, are uh, blinked and we're not actually a million miles away now from, from January. And I, and I did kind of want to ask you about that. I know it's early days and actually the focus is on, on the the pitch, as it should be quite rightly. The only name that we're, anyone's really seeing coming up, and maybe it's because of how Fluminese have been doing, the copper lipid stories, and they're in the final. And that natural story that rumbles on from the, the summer is the, the Andre rumour. But that's the only one we've seen tangible. I mean, is there anything else that that you've heard or is it is it literally that name that that's on the horizon
2: at the moment if possible at all yeah i mean it, it, it's quiet again on, on on transfers ahead of january at the moment i mean the the one area i would sort of say liverpool you know i i i get this sort of desire there to maybe further strengthen the midfield but i think you know liverpool look pretty good for numbers in there at the moment for me i, I know may, many would disagree and maybe it's it's one that Liverpool should be getting ahead of Thiago's departure next summer because we know that that's coming. Maybe, you know, maybe they should be looking to, to sort of get in front of that now and, and and sort that out. But all I can say is that in the summer when, when Endo was signed and, and, and the Andre rumors were still there, you know, it was put to me that, look, we, we've got our six now that that was, we, we've sort of, we boxed off that position a little bit. It's not something to expect that Liverpool will go back to. So. You know, whether whether that will sustain into January or he is, you know, he is viewed maybe more as that sort of Tiago we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. But I, I don't get the huge impression that, that the people are looking at the midfield at the moment and thinking that's, that's an area where Liverpool is short. I think, you know, one area where if they were going to strengthen at all, I, I would probably prefer to see someone come in is, is maybe in that defense and, and getting ahead of, of the Joel Matip situation that's going to arise further down the line. And, and also because I just think, you know, centre-half is a a position where they generally have had injuries in recent seasons and, and, you know, getting six months ahead of that by by bringing someone in for me would be a a wiser move than maybe going for an Andre because I think, you know, Liverpool have already proved over the start to the season that, you know, Thiago's been out for basically all of it and they've been able to cope quite easily. They've got a lot of options in there. So, whereas I think, you know, at centre-half... It has got a little bit ropey at times, even though the the guys who've come in and Gomez and, and Matip have done really well. The fact that Gomez is your, your backup right back and has and done a really good job there, it almost puts you down a centre half, doesn't it? So for, for me, really, and, and I'm not hearing any rumours to this to this end uh, uh, at the moment yet. But uh, but for me, centre half will be more of a sort of priority if 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 anything was to be done in January going forward. But at the moment, very very sort of quiet in terms of what they might do there.
1: Yeah, and very understandable in that regard as well. And the final thing I wanted to ask you, because if you've not read it, sort of listeners at all, it's absolutely a sensational piece. I know you've done one recently, David, on the inside story of Dominic Sabozla's journey to Anfield. And there's some sort of great quotes there from from his previous coaches in Hungary, but also even Jesse Marsh, the sort of the former lead sort of Red Bull Manager as well. Then sure, people have heard that name. I mean, it, it's a brilliant article, and I encourage everyone to read it. Was that for you? Was that fun doing almost the the research as much as making the article and hearing everything on the play? Was it? I suppose was it an enjoyable one to do?
2: Yeah. Well, firstly, thank you A very very kind review of the article. But yeah, um, hopefully people will read it and enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it was. It was. It was really fun to do. It was kind of nice to hear the stories and sort of there was always that sort of common thread running through it as well about this guy has just been audacious from day one and and sort of the incredible belief he had in himself. And so it was really nice to hear that and just sort of, you know, how driven and, and how full of belief he was, he would get to the top from, from day one. And I think that's something we've seen straight away the the ease with which he sort of fitted in at Liverpool is is, is obviously based on that huge self-belief and sort of a, a belief that well I was always going to get here. This is where I should be. I'm I'm in the right place now, and I I knew I was going to get here. So he feels instantly comfortable, and that's helped him adapt really really quickly. But so to yeah to hear that from people who coached him when he was he's 15 and that the, they'd seen that as well as the the unbelievable qualities he's got. And um, yeah, it, it was really good. And and people, I think it, when you do a piece like this, it sort of says a lot that you know when people really want to speak about someone, and everybody I spoke to did. And um, it shows you that that you know so' was like it, it sort of left a mark on them and, and 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 impressed them both as a not not just as a player who they wanted to rave about but also as a person you know he he was obviously a character who they really liked and and Jesse marsh in particular said that he said you know. Saying about the fact that he loved his arrogance because he's American, and even though that sort of maybe didn't fit in the culture that they were in, where they were working at the time in Salzburg, it was a, it was something that he really admired about Sober's life. So that, yeah, it was it was interesting to hear those stories, definitely. Brill. and fingers
1: crossed that we get many sort of feature pieces from from yourself coming forward, and we can talk about. So Boz, like, till the cows come home. But all it leads me to really say on our first Monday Lynch time, and people can make their own judgments on the name, I suppose, but <laughs> thanks very much for your time, David. Much appreciated as ever.
2: No, thank you very much for having me. Good to be back.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff, people. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for subscribing, reading any Anfield Index articles. And that was the very first Monday Lynch time.